If you travel, you know how to really go off the grid. Like no cell service in your room, off the grid. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths, sound baths, and ice baths. Because when you set up your out-of-office, you mean it. Because when you're the escape artist, vacation is all about resting, meditating, drinking water, and minding your own businessing. The Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know. Here's an HIV pill dilemma for you. Picture the scene. There's a rooftop sunset with fairy lights and you're vibing with friends. You remember you've got to take your HIV pill. Important, yes, but the fun moment is gone. Did you know there's a long-acting treatment option available? So catch the sunset and keep the party going. Visit PillFreeHIV.com today to learn more. Brought to you by Vive Healthcare. The three ladies are together again. Hey, ladies, I'm <laughs> Sam Sanders. I'm Saeed Jones. And I'm Zach Stafford. And you are listening to Vibe Check. Post-NOLA edition. United and it feels so good. Oh God, I sang, so Saeed. We got you back. I I'm missed back, you, friend. Honey. You were just out in the streets too. for a week. How was Ooh, it? child. Um, it was an experience. I'll say before my okay. check-in. Okay, okay. <laughs> so we got a lot of vibes to check this week. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to... Tell our listeners a bit about what this show is going to be about this episode. Got a lot to talk about. You know, I'm surprised that we haven't gotten to this topic yet because I think about it all the time. Our first topic is tipflation. You know it. You feel it. It's driving you crazy. Why is it here? Where did it come from? What do we do with it? Going to talk about that. And then, because February, we're going to talk about Black History Month and why it always feels so weird to me and how it's been commodified and how I and other black folks should move through this month with intention, whatever that means. So many questions. We'll have answers. All that's ahead. But first, how are my sisters feeling? Saeed, we start with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, yeah, so I was I was just in New Orleans for a week um, with with some of my, my my Columbus girls, my neighbors. We always hang out and we decided to take a group trip, which was always fun. It felt like there were actually three vacations and one. Was that good um, or bad? Well, so (laughs) I I got I I arrived the night before Fat Tuesday. So I you know kind of crashed literally like coming from the airport, not haven't even dropped off my luggage, and I was already seeing parades, and we were already kind of having to navigate that to get to where I was um, staying with my friends. And 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 I will tell you, Fat Tuesday. The first third of the trip, I would say, just incredible. It, I, it was my. I've I've been going to New Orleans a couple of times a year for over a decade now. I have a, oh, wow. to me, it is it is no longer you know some mythic symbolic. I'm like it's a place. It's it's yeah. the southern city that in the last decade I've had the richest, most contemporary relationship with, and I'm yeah. really grateful for that. But I haven't gone to Mardi Gras. Wow. It is revelry. You're, you know, I was, was I doing a tequila shot at seven o'clock in the damn morning on a Tuesday? On the dot. Yes, I was. In my drop Yes, I was. The two people, 
dressed as glittery, bedazzled Costco employees walking around carrying samples of blue jello shots. Give me one at like nine o'clock in the morning. Woo. Yes. Um, but also, I think what I learned is that there's a puritanism in terms of how our country talks about Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. Um, I found myself wanting to push back. It's creative. It's joyful. So many of the things we talk about on the podcast about third spaces, community, really living with the people around us come together for Mardi Gras because ultimately what it is is it's a community celebration with like a really rich history. Um, mm-hmm. That was great. But nice. then part two <laughs> okay. of the saga – I, of course, had to work, and working in the middle of vacation is very strange. I stressed myself out so much um, that I made myself sick because um, that's oh. something that I – that's one of I my su- secret superpowers. Yeah. And so then I spent the whole last three or four days literally just in bed sick, oh, I'm sorry. Oh. So it was – you know, I, we went through it all. Coaster. It was like it was the it was Saeed's Divine Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are so glad you're back. We missed you. It's funny. Last Good week, job. in your absence, we were like, "Yes, yeah, Saeed's in New Orleans," and me just being selfish because I love everything you write. I'm like, "What if we just made Saeed stay in New like, Orleans long enough to write a book?" This nigga giving me a book assignment. <laughs> what the hell is going? <laughs> Imagine on? the gothic vibes. Imagine. Imagine. Uh, Anywho, Zach, what's your vibe? Um, my vibe is good. I, I, I very, very cheerful, feeling loved. I, I loved all the the emails and DMs people sent me after last week's episode, where I disclosed my anxiety around birthdays mm. and being yeah. people pleasing and needing to plan, yeah. but also wanting to hide. So many of you were Pisces. So many of you wrote in saying you felt similar. People were tweeting about it. And I love that. Being seen feels good sometimes for the right thing. Feels good. Um, <laughs> and then um, I spent the weekend with my family, my my sister, uh, my brother-in-law, my mom, my stepdad. They all And Craig, we all went up to Santa Barbara and did a weekend. And it was very chill. Looking and it was fresh this, like, out of a catalog, by the way. <laughs> I was like, this is gorgeous. <laughs> Also, Zach's fast ass hiking in short shorts. I was like, yes, man. Go get it. Go listen, get it. Like, listen, I got a man. I'm keeping a man. You know? <laughs> I was in Santa Barbara saying, y'all, look. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, yes. No, something that you should know if you follow me on social media, whenever I'm with my sister, um, who's one of the closest people to me love. in my life. Who, who we, we love. love. She's a ride or die vibe check uh, listener. Um Everything around her has to be so beautiful all the time. And she brings a camera. Including her man. Cameras, including her <laughs> man. True. Everything is so stunning. So that like even when we're packing, it is a stressful packing experience. Because you're like, you're like, what am I, I going to wear? Photographed. What am I going to wear? What is she going to post? <laughs> How many times is she going to post? And she does. And it looks so good. Um, and she has such a, like, a very tight aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was just such a beautiful, like, you know, in terms of sentiment of coming down, spending time with me, then photographing it and getting me a cake. But, oh, what I will share. The most L.A. thing happened to us there. My sister goes and picks up a birthday cake for me. She brings it brings it to the house, has my name on it. She's like, it's red velvet. I remember you making red velvet. And I'm, I'm hyped for this. As a kid, I used yeah. to make red velvet, cupcakes a lot. We serve it, and they give me the first bite. And you know that moment where everyone's looking to you to be like, oh, it's so good. It's so great. Mm-hmm. I take a bite, and I go, hmm. Was it bad? Interesting. And she was like, interesting, interesting. What's, what's, why is it interesting? <laughs> yeah. I was like spiraling. I was like, no, just just everyone take a bite and let me know. I just, something, it's good, but something is off. We all start sitting around and friends like, something's off. Come to find out, she went to a gluten-free bakery. <gasps> wherever that was gluten-free. 
Yeah, there was like some lesson in this that like when we figured out it was a gluten-free cake, it was better. But when we thought it was a regular cake, it was worse. So I don't know, take something out of that no, of life about when you know so it's better. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like, and I have no shade or shame to those dealing with gluten issues, but truth be told, there's actually a small portion of Americans who actually have a gluten allergy, and the rest of folks are just, you know, wanted to be a part of this movement. Fine. But I do think you should disclose to people when the gluten's not there. Because we're so used to tasting it. Yeah. I feel like in the same way that you would tell a vegetarian if the broth had a ham hock in it, tell mm-hmm. me if it's gluten-free. <laughs> yeah, tell let me, me know. Yeah. I will shade this. because I will. I will. <laughs> First, because you pointed out that it's actually a very small number, so I feel a little more comfortable. <laughs> demographic i just won't check emails for a week um my thing is so one of my favorite restaurants in columbus it's called commune it's a wonderful restaurant and it's a oh, vegan it's restaurant yeah and but you i know just going in. yeah I, I, you go going in and but the other thing is the food is good and they don't try to recreate other types of cuisine let a vegetable and, be and a so vegetable that's my issue with with anything whether it's gluten or or non-alcoholic i know it irritates me when people are trying to recreate mm-hmm. the other thing you know what mm-hmm. i mean i'm just like do your own yeah. well yeah. it's like it's like turning all these vegetables into hamburger patties i could just eat right. vegetables i exactly. could just eat vegetables exactly. anywho i will say sometimes i love gluten-free there's some gluten-free tortillas I'll, I'll find the name for the next episode i think they're better than regular tortillas but let me know let me front. know the let not me know. knowing leads to me distressing my entire family who thinks they failed me. <laughs> oh, right. Interesting. Interesting. Distressing. Oh, my goodness. I know Monet, oh, Monet was stressed out. Oh, she was, she, like, everything, the blood left her face. Oh, she was just like, oh, no. She's like, we I'm already... too light-skinned for you be, for you to be making me look this pale. Like, what's going on? Do you like the cake or not? I can't. Wow. Oh, wow. Well, Sam, how are you doing? You know, I had a funky last week and i'll be honest as to why last week was valentine's day so already Mm. but valentine's day is also my mother's birthday so it was Mm. my first valentine's day without her and after my father died when i was 18 every year after that my brother and i would get my mother a dozen red roses and a box of russell stover chocolates because she loved that so this was the first year in which i didn't get that for her so Having a weird week. I was angry about stuff, sad about stuff, this and that about stuff. But I remember something that Zach said in last week's episode that stuck with me and stuck with me even more because we had a few listeners write in to comment on how much they love the grace and wisdom Zach puts into everything he says on this show. But there was a thing that Zach said twice that kind of just guided me through a very tough week. Zach, you said... When I think about how I want to move through the world. And then you said, how do I want to move through the world? And I said, whoa, I could do that. Mm. In general, I think a lot of us are just moving through the world and coping later. Mm -hmm. And to hear Zach say, stop, take a beat, and think about how you want to move through the world. I've just been saying that to myself Mm -hmm. the last week. And it helps me when I'm feeling angry or sad or worked up. It makes me stop take a breath, 
and look at myself and my choices just with intention. Mm-hmm. So it's been a bomb. I've been walking yeah. around this house saying, how do I want to move through the world? <laughs> and it's been quite helpful. Uh, and so I, I want to just testify in conjunction with our listeners who wrote in, you know, the wisdom and the grace present in the way you talk, Zach, it really is helpful. And it was very helpful to me last week. So that's my vibe. That, be- that means the world to me. But it also is confusing for my brain to hear because you have been in my head for the past week with what you said last week in the show, where you said something to the effect of the first thing that we should focus on with everything is knowing what you want. Like knowing what you want is the thing that will should guide you, which feels similar to yeah. how you want to move through the world. Is kind of yeah. taking a breath and checking in and using mm-hmm. that data that is your body. Your body knows if you listen to it. And like listening to your body and then doing the thing that it's telling you is yes. knowing what you want and knowing how to move through the world. So I think we're both in conversation with each other. We're both reporting from it. that energy yes. this week. Yes. So, well, listen, I am yeah. so grateful to have the two of y'all here with me on this journey. And our listeners, too. I think, I mean, and I've said this before, I am always so heartened to see how my talking about grief allows others to do it. And it just helps us all. So the yeah, fact yeah. that we can keep having these conversations with intention, I am yeah. honored to be a part of this space. I'm Daniel. honored. Yeah. And to add to that, because I'm just so grateful for your both of your generosities on the show and our listeners' generosities, the way in which you know the show's become a, a place of refuge and sharing for folks. Um, but it does make me think about you know just this week we had Kimberly Drew on on Monday, and mm-hmm. that conversation, if you haven't heard it yet, is about softness, soft and life, having baby. soft life yes. in, around you, and and it's kind of what we're talking about here. Is like how do you like in moments of hardness soften yourself and find peace in that and move forward. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for some more conversations like the one you just heard in the past five minutes, check that out. Check, check, that, check out. our grief episode with Sam. There's a lot here, but we're we're out here doing the work together. All we out here, baby. <laughs> we out here. Yes. All right, before we get into this episode, I want to thank all of you for checking out the show. You can listen to more Vibe Check every week on Amazon Music, and you can catch some of your other Stitcher faves there as well. And of course, big shout out to all of you who send us fan mail. We do read it. I've taken to just like screen grabbing some of them and passing out to the group chat. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Anywho, keep reaching out. Also on social media. We love to hear from you. Keep the emails coming to vibecheck at stitcher.com. Vibecheck at stitcher.com. With that, let's jump in, shall we? All right, listeners, let's dive into our first topic, which is tiflation. If you're not Catching what that means, tiflation means inflation regarding tipping culture. It's a little fun, jargony. Yeah, and I'm going to jump in here. This Has this term... I, it's new. It's, it's, it's maybe new. a year old. It's maybe a year old. Okay. I've heard okay. it before. It's, All right. I, I'm like, don't act like, like <laughs> yeah. I just wasn't paying attention that week in high school economics. <laughs> Not high school <laughs> economics. It's, 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 surfaced, it's surfaced like in the last year or so. Oh, because okay. it coincided this- with the inflation conversation. Yeah, Got exactly. It. And the the shrinkflation, which Biden even brought up about you're getting mm-hmm. you're paying more for less, all of that. But we're seeing a lot of new um, PRing around economics mm-hmm. right now. That mm-hmm. is really confusing. But today we're going to speak very plainly about mm-hmm. one issue, and that is we all are. It feels like we're tipping more. Whether we are or not is up to you, and that's what we're going to dive into. But it feels like we're being asked to tip more because you are. So over the weekend, the internet was ablaze with people discussing tipping culture. And sure, it's been a topic for a long time now. I think ever since I was a kid, I've been talking to people about tipping, when you do it, when you don't, all of that. 
However, this weekend really hit a fever pitch when a user on TikTok named Anti-Diet Pilot posted a TikTok discussing how she bravely, confidently, I don't know, insert an adjective there, um, shared that she did not tip her hairstylist who did her braids for over seven hours. She just oh, paid you're her, playing her fee. With fire. Yeah, just she just said, you know what? That's part of your fee. So listen here to a quick clip of her defending herself. I did not tip the girl who did my braids yesterday, and this was the first time I haven't tipped to get my hair done, and I was fueled with anxiety, especially when I hand her over the cash and she starts counting it. And I was like, oh. just did not feel like tipping was necessary on this service. For reference, this was $350 to get done. These are small, knotless, and this is a French curl braid. That averages out, took her seven and a half hours, $46 an hour, minus the cost of hair. So we'll just round it down to $40 an hour. She didn't have to commute. She's not paying any extra overhead because she works from home. I think that that's a really good price. How many people are making $40 an hour? I wanna also add that I had to go to the ATM, which is the most inconvenient method of payment to go get the exact amount of cash that I need for the appointment. I also had to come wash, conditioned, and blow dried. And I was the one that had to do the commuting. This is no shade, no tea, no nothing. This was the most comfortable braiding experience I've ever gotten. She was the best braider I've ever had. And I will definitely be going back to her. A lot of people say tipping is how you say thank you. But to me, saying thank you is how you say thank you. Respecting people's policies, arriving to your appointment on time, being respectful of the space that you're in, letting them take photos of their work after, and maybe telling your friends, or if you have a social media following, that to me is how you say thank you. We don't need to bump someone's $40 an hour work up to 45 to say thank you. Sue me, sue me. The Who point. wants to go first? <laughs> I, listeners before anyone goes, we playing the clip, I got to watch everyone's faces, and I thought knives were being pulled, like electricity was shaking. It was... Just yeah. So go. What did you go? You girls think of side? You go. You go. You go. Okay. I think tipping is actually pretty complicated. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot going on there in terms of labor, and I hope we get we're able to get into the different nuances of the broader conversation. I'm going to try to use my words very nicely. <laughs> <laughs> but this person, that's what I'm going to leave it. This person, and y'all can go ahead and insert whatever epithets you want to use, listener, based on your personal identity, mm -hmm. is so disrespectful. Um, first of all, a red flag to me, when we're talking about labor, the moment someone goes, you know, I work at a nurse in a hospital and I heard that airline flight attendants are are agitating or, you know, striking to get paid more money and I found out they made this and I make this, I don't like that. The moment no. we're comparing salaries, we we've already lost. We've we all already should get lost. more. Yeah. Two. Two, that is not how you say that. It's not about saying thank you. It's not. Yeah. Tipping to me is, is, is it's a recognition of another aspect of their service. I would say this, since we've been talking about softness, it's about the soft aspects of a lot of versions of labor where it's not just you cook the food and set it on the table. It's about interaction, bedside manner, all of these other qualities that are really important to the service. So it's actually mm -hmm. not the same as being polite. You should be polite for the sake of being polite. There Politeness is not compensation. I'll, I'll yeah. stop there. I'm about to. Ooh, I'm seeing colors. Well, I'm seeing colors. Let's not act like the wage she's getting per hour is the end of her financial equation for running a small business out of her home. So if she runs a small business out of her home, on top of buying the hair, she has to keep her home clean on a regular basis for every client. 
She has to possibly uh, keep her home in compliance with laws that mandate how you get to do people's hair in your own home. She probably has special equipment in her home to help do the hair. She probably has to do clean up and set up before and after every client. And here's another thing, dear listeners. She is an independent contractor working from home. Mm -hmm. That means she's buying her own health insurance. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to fight this person. She is doing so much on her own. And to do some quick math, you know, if you're just being, if we're not, we're not going to get into the details of accounting, but just off face value, that 350 bucks that you gave her becomes half of that. What, 175? It's tax. It's tax. She's taxed at that. Yes. So this is, so anyway, that's like a whole, to your point, there's a whole holistic there's a whole way of other thinking part of, the equation. of a small business owner, yes. freelancer economies in this. Yes. Mm-hmm. The other thing, when you, when you get, like, when I get my locks done and my hair is, y'all know, fairly short at this point still. Five hours. Yeah. Five hours is a very fast day. So the idea of someone sitting with you, bent over you, their hands in your scalp for five to seven hours. And here's the thing. For five to seven hours, they're also laughing at your shitty jokes and listening to you complain about your boyfriend that they don't care about. They're doing emotional labor, too. Mm -hmm. And so to tell me after all of that, you can't even tip $10 on $350. You already got $350 out the ATM. I am so calm us down, Zach. Because I'm, I'm right. literally the longer so I mad. have to think about this. I'm so, so mad. This is going to be peak, and do not cancel me, everyone, for being diplomatic. But I want to maybe contextualize this TikTok users their uh, resentment towards the tipping mm-hmm. expectation they're facing. Okay. So mm-hmm. currently, they do say this is the I'm first. I'm rocking time. like an old yeah. lady and looking really out the window. I'm you about really to start are. church humming. I am so okay. So to put this all in the context, this post, uh, this TikTok creator. This is the first time ever. And we can assume they've been getting their hair done their whole life. And they look in the mid to late 20s. I don't want to guess ages, but they've been around for some decades. So that means for decades, hopefully they have been tipping. And this is the first time. What they're speaking to in this moment is that a lot of people are feeling tipping fatigue. Why tipping fatigue is a new thing and why we're talking about it today is that tipping has been around for a while. However, the culture that we live in where tipping is expected at every point of sale is very new. I did some research into my own writing and in 2015 at The Guardian, I was assigned to write about the emergence of iPads at coffee shops and how that created this boom in tipping that led to sometimes all of us being asked to tip 50 to 75% of the product. So you get a $4 coffee, it was very common that you were asked to start at $1, $2, $3. So you were paying well, as much. Yes. Go ahead. And this is the thing because it's like, this is how they deceive you. At first, it seemed like all the little options were like 18%, 20%, 22%. But now you get some that say $1, $2, $5. It's not percentages. And if you got a bottle of water and you tip a dollar on a bottle of water, you could be tipping 50 or 75%. Yeah. It's yeah. wild. I yes. I was having a lot of anxiety about this for a while. And then finally, I was like, I cannot feel guilt. If I don't tip on a bottle of water, I don't tip on a bottle of water. Fight me. I just can't <laughs> do it. I want to tip when I need to tip. But there's some things I will say, yeah. I don't think we should be tipping. And we don't talk about how all of these little iPads are, they are serviced by companies like Square. Square mm-hmm. gets a cut of everything, even yep. the tip. So part of yep. your tip is going to these companies that have nothing to do with the actual transaction. Yeah. Of services. No, you're exactly right. And that's what the issue with the rise of the technology. The Atlantic has a really great piece called, um, 
it's called Tipping is Weird Now. And it's about technology has made tipping culture so weird to where you're like, I need to tip on everything. But it's not even about why we began tipping in the first place. So there's two parts of why we tip to Sight's point. One was, you know, point of service. You know, you talk to someone, interact with them. You pay them because they're doing more labor than just the caring that they're with you or, or however. But the other part of this is economical. A lot of workers are getting paid two dollars an hour, something very, yeah. very small, and this is and supposed the tips to get the more hourly wages. Exactly. Yeah, and I think where we are getting angry and rightfully so is I think the larger system systemic issue here that is why is it on us as consumers to pick up the slack where government businesses should be taking care of employees? Why is it always onto us to make the money, then spend the money, then take care of all these people? And that's a bigger yeah. macro issue. But I think here on Vibe Check, we live soft lives. We care about people. And yes. we very much advocate for tipping when you can, even if you feel And like when you need to. <laughs> yeah. I've been bald for 12 years. I know who to tip. The person who braids your hair. It ain't rocket science. I'm sorry. It's just common sense. Yeah, it's that's the other sense. thing. It's like yeah. people presumably that you're going back to for a service and thus you're you maintaining a, a relationship. Very personal with. service. There are, yeah. there are all kinds of reasons. One thing that I would suggest that I've started doing recently is I've started carrying cash on me, especially when mm. I'm travel, because I don't I don't trust these apps exactly. and these iPads. And so and, it, and it's so funny, and it's a whole story. It is gonna appear in in some work that I'm slowly working on behind the scenes for my next book. But I had a Lyft driver in New Orleans ask me, he was like, how much are they charging you for this drive to the airport? And I, I, I was going through the app and I was like, $30, $40. And he was like, they're paying me 14 And And so, you know, wow. and, and we've heard about that. And, and you know, there yeah. have been strikes. Um, and I think it, like the drivers refused to go to the Atlanta airport at one point mm-hmm. recently mm-hmm. during the holidays in protest of this. And, and, you know, and he's a great driver and we have a whole story that's unfolding. But I carry cash because I was so happy I had it on hand. So I could give him $20 when I got out of the lift. I still tipped him in the app, mind you. But I also think it's like, you know, maybe if the idea of perfunctory or whatever you want to call it, tipping is getting too much, maybe make a point of becoming more thoughtful and proactive about, and about tipping other people proactively in yeah. their own way. Yeah. Also, mean. just to wrap it up, because we got to move on. Well, one, tell us your thoughts on tipping listeners. Write in. I'm curious. I want to talk about this for a long time. But two, always remember the ability to ask questions about how much you should tip is a privilege. It means you have enough money to tip, and it means that you have enough money to engage in a service that requires tipping. You're already blessed. You're and already blessed. And for the blessed. rest of you ungrateful bastards, traction alopecia. <laughs> traction alopecia. <laughs> All right. Well, with that lively conversation, we need to take a quick break to let Saeed and Sam breathe I'm fanning a little, myself get, off. Out, get some air. Um, and while they do that, you stay right there. We'll be right back. Hey there, listeners. You know, as a black man working in media for over a decade, I still think about the times when I was a kid and I got to watch media as a consumer and the people that really inspired me. People like Oprah Winfrey and her talk show I watched every day after school or shows like RuPaul's talk show, which I snuck behind my parents' back to watch in the 90s. All of these black people on television shaped me and led me on my own path to become the person I am today and have the career I have today. So if you are looking for the next generation of influential Black voices, you can find those on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. 
Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. As you'll know, Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here, a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. There are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. And for me, I have used Factor for years, from when I was hosting morning television to traveling all the time now as a producer. I love knowing that food is getting delivered to my door that is fresh and ready to go so that I can always be ready to go as well. So head to factormeals.com slash vibecheck50 and use code vibecheck50 to get 50% off. That's code vibecheck50 at factormeals.com slash vibecheck50 to get 50% off. All right, my loves, we are back. Um, I've sipped some tea, drank some water. Um, And since we're going to take a Black History Month turn, I would suggest to that TikTok user an excellent article in the New York Times by Michelle Alexander titled, Tipping is a Legacy of Slavery. Um, (laughs) That's a a little taste of Black History Month maybe that person should get into. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is me trying to be Saeed the teacher because Saeed was ready to whoop some ass about a smooth (laughs) five minutes ago. Mm. Um, but we wanted to talk about Black History Month because, I mean, not just because it's February, but also because our feelings about it are dynamic, changing, and fluid. And so I'm excited to talk to my two friends both about our relationship to Black History Month kind of growing up, in school, you know, the standout memories, the moments, good and bad. And then also particularly, I would argue, since 2020 – which was a real turning point for a lot of reasons regarding history, politics, and power, maybe our feelings about Black History Month have changed, and I would say rightfully so. But um, to start, Zach, let's start with you. What, what was your relationship to Black History Month coming up? What was, what was baby uh, Zach doing out in Tennessee in February? It's... Well, it's my birthday month, so I was like, oh, Black History Month, my birthday, mm-hmm. all these you things. You were like, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome, everybody. But where I was raised, they were not feeling very much uh, grateful for this month. Oh, okay. So my school was very, very white. And I, my most vivid memories around things like MLK Day, Black History Month, 
is to this day, um, moments where very country boys in my class would be like, well, if you get this, today's General E. Lee Day. And they would uh-huh. always try to bring up some Confederate symbol as a pushback. And there were times I had teachers that also supported this. So there was like this balancing and then you'd hear the constant, well, why isn't there a white history month? And I didn't have the language at the time to say, well, all the other months are white history month. But you know, there was a lot of confrontation there. However, this one memory that comes to mind very vividly to me is from second grade, I believe. And I had a black teacher um, and she was doing a Black History Month lesson. And I don't know how Kwanzaa came up, but Kwanzaa came up. And then every white kid in my class from there on out thought I celebrated Kwanzaa because I was black and she was black. And I didn't Here's even know the what secret. Kwanzaa was. No one celebrates Kwanzaa. No one celebrates <laughs> <laughs> Kwanzaa. So very I guess, few like, people. This, very few people. Very few people. But to summarize, I think Black History Month for me was always this thing where like white people were finding things out and they would look to me like, don't you know this already? And I'm like, I don't know this. I'm also learning the history because it's not taught to us. So that was for yeah. me. So yeah. it's like that moment. Um, and I, I certainly, you know, growing up in the suburbs of North Texas where you kind of get to the Civil War chapter. The mm-hmm. fact that it was like a chapter um, yeah. in U.S. history. <laughs> and you can just like feel the white the kids eyes slowly just, turning. Mm, to what do you yeah. think? Like, what? I wasn't there. Eat, like, what do, you, yeah. <laughs> what do you want yeah. me to say? Yeah. yeah. Sam, what was it like for you coming up? So... I had a fairly positive experience with Black History Month. So both of my parents were educators. My father had been one for a long time before retiring. And my mother was a teacher and middle school principal. And they always made it a point to have us around Black stuff for Black History Month. Our churches were always all Black. And my father was involved in the community. So I remember as a kid going with him to like Black History Month events. And my parents were pretty real about it. It, Like they even had a rule in our house, there was only black art. It was like, you'll see black people having fun on the wall. So it was very pro-black. But I realized in adulthood, oh my God, all this Black History Month stuff that I was being bombarded with, it was just surface. And it was, mm, dare I say, trite. You know, it was like George Washington Carver used peanuts to make stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember that. But I didn't find out until he was grown that that man was gay. Okay. I wish they would have told me that. He was also you know? a fucking jerk, but that's right? another, another That's a personal history gripe yeah. with me. <laughs> and so I realized, even though I was bombarded with what felt like enriching Black History Month content, it was all very surface and after-school mm. specialist, special-ish. So I've been in adulthood trying to rethink what an education around those figures might be. I've also been saying, like, in adulthood, what do I want Black History Month to be for me, like, personally like mm-hmm. personally and brandon mentioned this in one of our group chats or a conversation about this conversation topic but like he's been noticing and i've been noticing and doing myself just like gathering my black friends together gathering us together to play games or hang out or eat and drink and like with no intention but just to be around our black presences mm-hmm. in the black present i like mm-hmm. that a lot i've also been doing stuff where it's just like huh how can I make this moment in this month mine? So I grew up hearing the Black National Anthem everywhere, all the time, each February. And I realized this year, I've never played it myself mm. on my saxophone. Oh. So is I've it been hard doing to that. play? What's it like playing that? It is a very complex song, mm-hmm. but I've heard it's it long. so much, it's kind of already it's beat long. into me. It's very mm-hmm. long, and if you want to be a purist, you have to sing all three verses. Mm-hmm. Like, purists say you sing it all. Mm-hmm. But I've been playing it here at the house, and it just feels so good to hear that music in the house. And Wesley the Puppy, 
when I get to the middle of the song, he starts to howl along with me. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the cuter and I'm like, too. oh, this is what I want Black History Month to be like personal, mm-hmm. real for me and my needs. And like, I don't know, reclaiming my time around yeah. what it means to celebrate this history. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Like when I was growing up, um, you know, family's complicated, but but part of my family um, were Black Panthers, actually. And I so, did not know that. Yeah, wow. on, on my dad's side of so the family. Cool. And so, um, you know, I had a, a, a relative when I was pretty young get me um, some art for, for my bedroom, uh, my teenage bedroom. And so I grew up sleeping under a poster of Black Buffalo Soldiers. Hell yeah. Um, oh. and, and I remember this, my, this relative telling me, you know, it was important. For her, for me, it was born for her, for me to understand that, like, you know, we're living in Texas, you know, we're out west and getting to Beyonce, like the history that she's tapping into, right? Mm-hmm. Country music, for example, comes from black people. Texas, as a kid, it just felt so white. It was such a, like, during the mm-hmm. Bush years, it was an oppressive, all the iconic iconography um, mm-hmm. was about whiteness, manifest destiny. And she was like, we've been out here too. You know, and she was like, the there first were cowboys were black. Yeah, there were brown. black cowboys. There were black soldiers. There were black people building alliances with indigenous communities. Like that was very much, you know, kind of what I was raised about. And so kind of getting that sense of this might not come up in class, but we're mm-hmm. going to talk about it at home mm-hmm. was really important to me. But Zach, to your point, at school. It fucking sucked. Um, it was, yeah. it was, yeah. and especially you know if you're like a black kid, you know who is a good public speaker or you know good in English class. Next thing you know, you're on stage reciting the "I Have a Dream" speech or mm-hmm. Paul Lawrence Dunbar's "We Wear the Mask." You and know, they in never front read of- the whole "I Have a Dream" speech. <laughs> never did the whole right thing. in front of an audience of mostly white people, and you're like, mm-hmm. ah. So yeah, I think for a lot of us, it's you know, and, and surprise, things are complicated. I think. When Black History Month is personal, when it is oriented in particularly loved ones explaining to yes. us yes. why it's important to them and what they're trying to pass on to us, it registers in one way. When instead it becomes uh, something that's literally being directed by white school leaders or even more recently corporations, it mm-hmm. changes. Yeah. I want to go there. And I know we've been texting about this. You know, it feels like particularly something is in the air this year with Black History Month or not in the air. You know, Mm. we talked last Pride Month about how a lot of corporations are pulling out of their pride spending. I think we're kind of seeing the same thing happen with Black History Month. And I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but I will say I've seen this kind of arc, you know, in 2020 and the protests and the uprisings and the Mm. aftermath of George Floyd's death and the rise of DEI. It felt like everyone was there for it. And then there's been this pushback against critical race theory and now this pushback against DEI and these big companies and corporate players that used to spend money on Black History Month. It seems as if they're doing it less. And at first I'm like, I don't like that. But then I want to say, I don't care about those corporations anyway. Black History Month should be mine. But I have noticed it. And I wonder how y'all feel about that. Because we are in a very anti-DEI moment this February. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say... Ooh, for the past few years, I've seen a deep decline 
in spin from corporations. And I've even heard it from the agencies like CAA, UTA, WME. Like they're not really? seeing as much business come in to book mm-hmm. people during these months. Um, because I think political tensions are, are also rising simultaneously. But there was an era where so many people, myself included, made a good amount of money during February and June with corporate backing. So you'd go speak at the corporations, mm-hmm. you would do the tap dancing. And, and at first, you know, for me personally, I was like, this is so great. I'm being brought in because of my work and I'm getting to talk. And I still like love doing that when appropriate. But there were times when it was a Black History Month event that you would come into these rooms and it was mostly all white people. And they were just like kind of gawking at you and needing you to like tell them some truth yeah. to help change their lives and make them see Black History Month different, that it just felt like a bit gross. So I've kind of enjoyed this month of, I've done right? zero. We've got a break. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, done no, I've done, not done any corporate engagements this month and it's been great. And I got to just be in my body and think about it in, in a more personal way because I think whenever capitalism mixes into anything, it gets like when we see like the Black History Month products, I'm like, what yeah, is going on? Who is this for? It's funny Mm -hmm. because um, the week before the pandemic started, February 2020, was one of the busiest travel weeks of my life for the reason that that Zach is talking about. I remember I I had appearances that February in one week, Kalamazoo, Michigan, San Antonio, Texas, and Washington, D.C., all all events, you know, and I had a book out, but it was all kind of linked – Mm-hmm. in subtle mm-hmm. and unsubtle ways to Black mm-hmm. History Month. And, you know, listen, I was well compensated <laughs> for my appearances. I didn't know we were about to go into a pandemic that meant I wouldn't be doing any appearances for, yeah. you know, the next year and Glad a half. You got so I turned checks. out to be very grateful. <laughs> yeah. And also, I'm just like, you know, I've learned you can turn poison into medicine. You know, I'm like, okay, the circumstances that brought this event may be what they are, but once I walk into that room, I walk mm-hmm. into that room and I'm in control. So, Bam. yeah, it's there's a way to, in certain instances, kind of make an event worthwhile. But it's it's a weird energy. But I think you're you're absolutely right. I think, and and we've seen this. And look, I'm not trying to center the Ivy League Bill Ackman drama because mm-hmm. that feels like actually a very intentional and violent distraction from what's going mm-hmm. on in Gaza. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're pulling focus. Well, and it's also a distraction from the reality for most American college-age students. For most students, it's hard to just afford community college. They're not right. worried about yeah. the Ivy League, you know? Right. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. But but beyond that, I will say, obviously, there is a connection from DEI to affirmative action. Um, I would say, you know, just like another examples, a lot of um, – and though this isn't directly about Black History Month, I think it's about the culture in which the holiday is arriving now. Mm-hmm. A lot of – Organizations, universities, and companies, you know, created uh, DEI initiatives, hired people, put people in, put black people in charge of positions, and was like the first black CEO of this, the Mm -hmm. first black, you know, all those first, first, first. And then you see it's like as easy it is for them to set it up. It's just as easy two or three years later for them to knock them down. I don't feel cynical about Black History Month. I think I've changed my orientation. You know, Mm. I think about, and you know, part of this is as an artist, and obviously I write about history a lot in my work. I think about the archive. I'm trying to have a personal deep, and that's why I think about, you know, I actually have a lot of issues with this family member who gave me the, the, the painting of the Black Buffalo Soldiers. But I love that someone who took part in raising me understood the power of a Black child 
looking up every night before he started to dream at three black buffalo soldiers, Mm -hmm. you know, at that dignity, at that history. I love that someone understood that that's an important constellation in which to locate a child you're raising. And that, to me, is the potential of Black History Month or Pride Mm -hmm. Month or Women's History Month, you know, Asian Pacific History Month. You know, I, I think the irony is when we emphasize the media aspect, the representation aspect, that can be easily commodified. And like I said, you know, to be commodified is to be counted, and to be counted is often to be used. Yeah. Well, and it's like, I keep thinking about this year's Black History Month in relation to this big push, especially in the Ivy League, against DEI. And we were sharing this morning a New Yorker article that kind of breaks down how that's been playing out at Harvard and uh, the recent resignation of Harvard's first black president, Claudine Gay. Oh, and, and I have the a- title here. It's The, the title is um, The Campaign Against DEI in the New Yorker from Kianga Yamada Taylor. Wonderful article. Yeah, yeah. And there was a graph that really spoke to me and kind of summed up what I'm trying to take with me into this Black History Month and the next one, too. Um, and it's this idea about what is radical and what is not. We're in this moment where negative forces would have us think that saying black, being black, celebrating blackness is radical. It's not. Black is history. Black is America. We've always been here. And this graph in the piece says, quote, of Claudine Gay, the black Harvard president who stepped down, quote, Claudine Gay is no radical, which is how she rose to the Harvard presidency in the first place. But her presence was radical as a black woman leading one of the most powerful institutions in the world. And just reading that reminded me that, like, no matter what anyone says about Black History Month or black people, we can't let them think that we don't belong here or that us having a celebration of us does not belong. It always does. And it always will. And it's like, how do I do that on my terms for me every year? And maybe that's just playing my damn saxophone with Wesley the dog howling along. <laughs> but I'm doing it for me. And I don't care if other folks see it as radical or not. It's for me. I love that. because, And, and this is a lesson, I think, you know, for, for all identities. Yeah. Making decisions about how people who aren't you and mm-hmm. aren't for you feel mm-hmm. about you. Mm-hmm. Is always a dangerous road. It's kind of like there respectability, you, you know. And it's like, well, yeah. you know, like gay men who us. gay men who eschew femininity because they're like, well, I don't want straight people. Who cares what straight people think? If you want to put on the heels, put on the fucking heels. There you, you know, go. oh, I don't want to celebrate black because white people. Ah, 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 ah. Yeah, they are yeah. not your editor. <laughs> they are not your editor. You know what I mean? You were so your I, editor. I love that. Yes. You are your editor. You mm, are. Come and on. So now. I love doing black history for ourselves. Um, yeah. Zach, any last thoughts on on the month? No, I think it's you know. As you've been speaking about this, it's made me more inspired to be more intentional because I feel like this this month, I, I always wait for the corporations lately. The corporations have very much drained the joy out of this month for me because it's, mm-hmm. okay, what event are we going to do? What thing right. are we going to do? What content can we make? And, and I think certain content can be great. Our Haste This series, I think, is a beautiful example of being intentional, creating space, uplifting, and Well, you know, and shout out to Ulta. They just said, here, go ahead. Yeah, just go do right. it. They, they said, weren't being that also helps. So, yeah, <laughs> you know? Ulta, Ulta helps. Yeah. Thank you, Ulta Beauty. We love you. <laughs> um, but I think, like, as you're talking, I want more of that. I want people to resource me and create open spaces for me to just either be or 
be quiet, be loud, be active that you are not, but just exist, I think at the end of the day is enough. And I think that's um, what I'm taking from all this. And, and I don't if you to- ever have an opportunity to tip someone black who has done something for <laughs> yes, you, tip black tip. people. You we can't tip. let it go. We, we can't, can't let, let it go. go. We can't let and it go. we won't. We won't. We're going to we change won't. this. To, to, welcome to Tip Check, a little podcast. <laughs> tip Check. The three of us. We're fed up. Well, now I'm thinking of that Nelly song, Tip Drill. Oh, my God. Uh, Take it back. That's where we're going to leave it here. And, yeah, my, my last parting thought, listeners, is – and this is – and listen, black history is American history, and American history is, for better or worse, world history. Um, mm-hmm. Do something for you. You don't need to tell anybody. And, in fact, I would prefer you didn't. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but make a point of learning something you didn't know. And I love like like with like Sam, even with um public figures that we think we know a lot about. I remember being fully shook, for example, when I was reading Aretha Franklin's biography and I learned that after her mom passed away suddenly when she was 13, Aretha went mute for weeks. Wow. And just the idea of someone as formidable as Aretha Franklin being a grief-stricken mute girl, you know, in mm-hmm. Detroit, just it, it haunts me. You know what I mean? So yeah. just invest. Yeah. It can be a moment. It can be a day. You don't need to post it on Instagram. Please go. don't go to work and tell your black coworker about it the next day. <laughs> Do it for yourself because I think there's inherent value in deepening our relationship to history. Do it for All yourself. Right. I like Do that. Do it for yourself. Please not for us. Please not for us. Just give us the money. Give us the tip <laughs> and walk away. All right. We'll leave it there. <laughs> Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hey, HBCU fam. Get ready to turn up the energy. McDonald's and the Thurgood Marshall College Fund have $1 million in scholarships at 53 HBCUs for 66 brilliant students. This year, you could be one of them. But time is running out. Did we mention the $1 million in scholarships? Apply by March 27th at tmcf.org. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? You know, I think some people maybe go for an extra workout, maybe take a nap. I love a nap. (laughs) I love reading a book. But of course, we all wish we had more time in our lives. The question is time for what? You know, if time's unlimited, how would you use it? I think therapy is actually something that can help us kind of hone our understanding of how we want to use our free time, not just how we can get the most of it, but really how can we show up in our lives? And I would say that if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. First of all, it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule because everyone's schedule is different. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. It's very flexible. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash VibeCheck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash VibeCheck. All right, listeners, we are back. And before we end the show, as we always do, we're going to check in with my sisters uh, and have them recommend something that's keeping their vibes right. 
Zach, we'll start with you. I'd love that because mine is so boring and random, but bringing me so much joy this week. <laughs> okay. Um, I finally bought one of those car mounts for my phone. The magnetic ones you put in your, your oh, air conditioning sweetie. vents and oh, you put baby. your phone up there. Wait. I've always resisted. I always like that. You, so you can look at like Google Maps while you're driving. You can yeah. look at Google Maps. It's like up there. It's like a lot of Uber drivers have them when you're in the uh-huh. car. Yeah. A lot of people have them. A lot of people have them. A lot of people in general have them. I have resisted. I just put my phone in the cup holder. You don't use CarPlay on your car screen? I use CarPlay on my car screen. But like I just have my phone there. And then if I need to grab it, I reach down. Having my phone just sit there charging, looking pretty. I love it. It feels small wins it feels small like luxury it, i love it so it's a girl very... i know what car you drive so i hear you say that that is luxury <laughs> Makes me laugh, but... I, what i what i will say is it is kind of interesting that like car manufacturers at least i i haven't mm-hmm. seen it like standard like they don't no, seem to don't build design cars but they know people everyone has a phone there yeah i, wonder why. I mean maybe mm-hmm. it's a deal with like the the phone accessory lobby big lobby that's like <laughs> no you can't build it inside the phone you know unions whatever but anyway i love it amazon.com thank you thank you jeff bezos daddy right. bezos <gasps> i'm loving my my car stand wow welcome <laughs> to the future i guess yes. the little wins i guess the little wins yeah not every yeah. week is like some piece of culture or film i mean it's just a little thing. i think it's also like a safety thing too <laughs> yeah, right it's also that, safe. That, yeah. Help you keep your vibe right, staying yeah. alive. I love that. There you okay. go. In these LA streets. <laughs> At the end of the world. <laughs> okay. Okay. Said, what is your vibe recommendation this week? Um, well, since we talked about black history, I um and I've been trying to, you know, kind of I think last poem I read was like like a classic Lucille Clifton poem. I thought I would read one of my favorite Langston Hughes poems. Um, I came across it in probably middle school, and I love it because it is a heartbreaking poem narratively, but there is such joy, and I just think he's doing, like, a lot of work, and I just love it. Um, It's the weary blues. Also, no one told me he was gay until I was grown. Really? Okay, wait, this is a whole conversation. His estate is incredibly anti-gay and has put a lot of effort into suppressing, like actively suppressing movies, films, any kind of art project about it. It's even kind of getting to his um, biographer. It is, there is a pointed systemic reason for that. And so I'm glad you brought it up actually. Yes. Langston Hughes was a gay man. He loved to kiki. He had a lot Mm -hmm. of black queer friends in Harlem. Mm -hmm. And that's actually part of why I like this poem because to me it reads um, like a kind of expression of queer Grief, queer, blues. Okay. It's also difficult to read. Here we go. The Weary Blues by Langston Hughes. Droning a drowsy, syncopated tune, rocking back and forth to a mellow croon, I heard a Negro play. Down on Lenox Avenue the other night, by the pale, dull pallor of an old gas light, he did a lazy sway. He did a lazy sway. To the tune, oh, those weary blues. With his ebony hands on each ivory key, he made that poor piano moan with melody. Oh, blues. Swaying to and fro on his rickety stool, he played that sad, raggy tune like a musical fool. Sweet blues. Coming from a black man's soul. Oh, blues. 
In a deep song voice with a melancholy tone, I heard that Negro sing, that old piano moan. Ain't got nobody in all this world. Ain't got nobody but myself. I's going to quit my frowning and put my troubles on the shelf. Thump, thump, thump went his foot on the floor. He played a few chords, then he sang some more. I've got the weary blues, and I can't be satisfied. Got the weary blues, and can't be satisfied. I ain't happy no more. And I wish that I had died. And far into the night he crooned that tune. The stars went out, and so did the moon. The singer stopped playing and went to bed, while the weary blues echoed through his head. He slept like a rock or a man that's dead. That's The Weary Blues by Langston Hughes. It was first published Ooh. in 1927, and it was published in, um, uh, I can't remember the title, um, but I, I always think it's great because it was published in a black um, magazine, um, and it won like best poem of the year, which is to say part of the reason we have this poem is that there, there was a black newsroom in Harlem that wanted to celebrate, you know, black art. And, um, you know, it, it, so much so much community has to happen to make art, you know, into history. So, yeah, that's I love the it. Blues. And I just, I, I was able to pull up, it's the it's Urban beautiful. League magazine that is like the old. The Urban League magazine, yeah. yes. I love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. That was so good. Oh my God, both of you have saying, now I'm feeling the pressure. A nervous, <laughs> and, and now yeah. Zach will do his uh, blues rendition of Padam, Padam. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of Black History Month. Oh, God. <laughs> Sam, Sam, what's your recommendation? Um, we're going to do a full 180 right here because okay. my recommendations... Well, first, before I get to my tacky recommendations, I want to follow up. Uh, in last week's episode, I mentioned briefly how I shared really sad song lyrics to the group chat and nobody wrote back. <laughs> we do just ignore them. <laughs> a lot of folks reached out and were like, Sam... What are the sad lyrics? We want to listen to this sad girl oh, shit with you. So for those who are wondering, uh, the sad girl lyrics are from an artist named Chapel Roan. The song that I pulled from is called Casual, but the entire album is great. It's called The Rise and Fall of a Midwest Princess. And it's got some good tearjerkers to scream and cry to. And uh, it's felt good. So check it out. But secondly, my full recommendation for this week is celebrating watching bad things because they're bad. Oh, God, I forgot you were going to do this. Oh, this demonic turn that we're you about to go on. You called me a demon, and I just said, I'm free, baby. I'm free. But this week, uh, in the last few days, I've watched two things that I knew were going to be horrible, and I was overjoyed by how horrible they actually were. 
first was that new J-Lo long-form music video oh. meant to be her lemonade called This Is Me Don't now. even mention it was the same one of the worst things. It was she wanted to be eliminated and it wasn't. If she wanted to be eliminated, it was it was what it was, was crystal it? it was crystal light. Crystal, crystal light. light. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't even Anywho, good. I like crystal light. <laughs> it was so bad it was funny. And I loved it for that reason. The second thing that was in the same boat, I went to see it on President's Day, and the theater was surprisingly halfway full. Uh, Madam Webb, one of the worst things I've ever seen in Oof. my life. And I Dakota laughed Johnson. the whole time. Dakota Johnson was in there just making a mess of things. Um, and I bring this up because sometimes there is a really good release in watching shit that's awful. It reminds you that you didn't make it. And your day isn't as bad as their week is going. <laughs> Can't be that bad. <laughs> Can't be that bad. But I mean, can I ask it's... what makes Madam Web? Because I've, heard, I mean, TikTok is ripping it. To, it does not. Sound, I mean, I wasn't exactly racing to theaters to see it either. But what makes it bad? Is it like the acting is bad, or the this? acting's bad? The script is bad. The dialogue is stiffly delivered. Apparently, all of the villains' lines were actually added in post, and it yeah. shows. Oh. Yeah, the ADR is bad. What's ADR? It's the when they when there's like a, a line that didn't track well for recording. <gasps> oh, acting, they retract they it later. And, dub it. Got yeah. it. and you can see the dubs. But there's yeah. this fight scene at the end that's supposed to be like in the city on a billboard, and you just see the soundstage of it all. And you're like, Marvel has no. all this money, and this shit looks so cheap. The CGI the whole time looked cheap. You, D- Dakota Johnson, the whole movie looks like she doesn't want to be there. It is incredible. Which is like kind of like speaks to so this is like a part of the Marvel universe, but it's the Sony production because Sony owns right. all the Spider-Man stuff, mm-hmm. and it just always makes it feel like you know the low budget mm-hmm. version of everything Disney's doing, and they're all bombing across the yeah. board. So no, and like uh, sure she yeah. got her money. She got so her she money, did. and 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 what's been so ironic about Madam Web, like that movie is. Probably the worst movie of the year, but Dakota Johnson's press tour in advance of the film's release is my favorite film of the year so far (laughs) (laughs) because she has been so chaotic and detached in every interview. It is comedic deadpan genius. Um, Why I love the J-Lo thing is because it's just so dumb. There's a whole motif in the short film, long form music video in which she is a factory worker in a factory in which all of the strong, muscled women are working on a steampunk metal beating fire heart. <laughs> and they do choreography. I wish listeners could see our heart. faces. It's so bad. There's also it's... a whole through line where there's this like conservative Fox News type cable news pundit who you find out at the end is Ben Affleck. It's Ben Affleck, yeah. It is What's unhinged. On There's a scene in which JLo's character is at a sex addicts anonymous meeting, and they're all like <laughs> in the gym, in the chairs circled up, and then all of the people at the sex addicts anonymous meeting start interpretive dancing in the circle. Interpretive dancing, not interpretive even like hip hop dancing. Interpretive dancing through the feeling she's talking. Yes. About. Okay. It is so how the, is this it, your recommendation? I'm going to need yeah. you to do a little I'm, bit more labor because bitch. I laugh so much. <laughs> I have not laughed this much in months. Watch it and laugh. Pop an edible. Watch it and or laugh. Or don't. Or don't. And, <laughs> and, and laugh too. Let it go. Just... <laughs> yeah. That's it. All right. Those are my recommendations. Listeners, uh, let me know your thoughts after you watch both of those things. Uh, and let us know what's keeping your vibe right. 
What's your vibe? Check in with us whenever you want. Vibecheck at Stitcher.com. Vibecheck at Stitcher.com. And with that, that's today's uh, high-octane show Ooh. of lots of... We went on a journey, friends. <laughs> Keep my journey. singing in, Nora. Keep yeah, my singing keep in. Keep all the vocals in. Uh, well, listeners, thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Vibe Check. If you love the show and want to support us, please make sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast listening platform. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everything, and leave a review. And most importantly, tell a friend. Huge thank you to our producer, Chantel Holder, Marcus Holm for our theme music and sound design, and Rich Garcia, who's mixing this episode for us. Thanks, Rich. Also, special thanks to our executive producers, Nora Ritchie at Stitcher and Brandish Sharp from Agenda Management and Production. Listeners, we want to hear from you. Don't forget, email us whenever, vibecheck at stitcher.com. Also, we're on the socials, at Zach Staff, that Zach has an H in it, at Sam Sanders, and at The Ferocity. If you post about the show, use the hashtag at, nope, use the hashtag VibeCheckPod. All right, till next time, keep singing. <laughs> keep singing. I'm failing that, <laughs> auto-tune yourself if you must, you know? I don't we need have no options. auto-tune, baby. We have options. <laughs> I'm touching go. I'm touching go. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Stitcher. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.